Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. simple. People are perfect. And everything is black and white. Honey, I'm home. It's a place that's as far from reality as we can imagine. How about some marshmallow rice squares? Those are swell. But maybe it's a lot closer than we think. What happened? I'm not sure. <gasps> Look at me. I'm pasty. Morning, kids. Better get a move on or you'll be late for school. I put blueberries in them just the way you like. We're in Pleasantville? No! We're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be in color? What's all the commotion? Who's that? I didn't think you'd want to come here until we'd been pinned for a little while. You can pin me anytime you want to. Hey there, and welcome to Rewatchability. It's a podcast where we rewatch old TV shows and movies to see how they hold up over time. My name is Blaine Waters. With me, as always, is... Hi, folks. Gee golly, it's Robert Larone <laughs> Playing Ned Flanders. <laughs> and, uh, we are going to get to the movie that Rob is talking about, or referencing, I Inferring. guess. Inferring. Yeah, uh, in one second. But we want to thank our Patreons, the people that give one, three, five dollars a month to you keep You color our world. <laughs> you bring us across the universe. In style, thank you so much. Wait, we, were we supposed to watch Across the Universe? No, it's like the song in the movie. It was a big. Oh. Th- we'll come to that. We'll come to that. All right, but thank you so much for going to Patreon.com/slash/rewatchability and donating. You get the podcast ad free. Yeah, you get the the podcast early sometimes, yeah. and uh, you also might get uh, very soon a, a little present in in. You know, in rewatchability land, we, we give a right. Patreon only episode. A Patreon only episode. I wonder what delight we have for them. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the, if you're in for a treat, Patreons. Thank you uh, for for giving to us, and we're sorry what we're about to do to you <laughs> with the Patreon only episode we're about to give you. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's all we can say because we're traumatized. <laughs> Um, but if you want to find out about that, you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability and uh, catch us there. So let's get into the movie we're doing this week. We are doing the 1998 movie Pleasantville with Reese Witherspoon, Toby Maguire, William H. Macy is in it for a second. He's kind of like dipped in it. <laughs> He's in it. He's in it a lot. Is he? Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. He's certainly more in it than he is in that FBI report about Felicity Huffman, where he's referred to only as spouse. <laughs> oh, my God. This got real so fast. This is in full I'm color now. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> this is in full color now. That's like the biggest scandal. Have you been paying attention to I, that? I have no idea what you're talking about. The college admission scandal? Okay. Oh, right. That's Felicity Huffman, too. I only knew it was uh, the woman from, like, Lori Anderson. Is that her name? Yeah, Aunt Becky from yeah. Full House. Well, yeah. it's also Mrs. William H. Macy, Felicity Huffman. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, it's I read the thing because it's crazy. <laughs> and because who doesn't like a little bit of celebrity schadenfreude, right? Yeah, exactly. At one point, Felicity Huffman, like, emails the person that she's scheming with yeah. because something's gone wrong, and she says, Ruh row like she is Scooby Doo. <laughs> what? This is an Oscar nominated actress. I love that she talks in like horrible nineties movies <laughs> references. It's so great. That's in an FBI deposition. <laughs> 
But William H. Macy, because, you know, maybe he wasn't involved as much, okay. or maybe he has the protection because he's a man. Yeah. He's only referred to as spouse. <laughs> his his finest role as spouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really he really sunk into that one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I feel like he can like weasel his way out of this, like Fargo, you know? No, he can't. That's the whole problem. That's probably why his wife didn't get him involved. It's like, you'll fuck it up, Bill. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Uh. <laughs> but let's get to let's get to Pleasantville. When did you first see this this movie, Rob? So I did see Pleasantville. I saw it in university. Okay, it was like a part of a class or something. Did you have to watch it or? No, I just I loved watching movies in university, and we had access to a library on campus, oh, nice. so we would rent DVDs, and I would just watch as many of them as I could. That said, I do not remember much about Pleasantville. Yes, it's like when I first saw it, I was like, "This is a perfectly fine movie," mm-hmm. but I'm never going to remember this. It's not mm-hmm. memorable. It doesn't like when I first watched it, I was like, "This doesn't this isn't special in any way." I'm like. Isn't part of it in black and white? That's the only thing I remember. Or about did I it. just read The Giver at the same time? Like I can't remember. Or am I thinking of The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> yeah, Schindler's List. You might have confused it with Schindler's List. I certainly did not. <laughs> and that's our one Schindler's List joke per podcast quotient. Uh, we got it filled. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't remember much about it. I remember liking it. I think. So I was interested when you proposed that we rewatch it for this week's podcast. It was actually a marriage proposal, but uh, you just said, Pleasantville, sure, well, and walked away. It was really awkward was... because you don't do those things in public without discussing them first. I had the parachute on. I had come in with a ring. Everybody was painted black and white. <laughs> <laughs> it was a confusing proposal. That would be a really good proposal, actually. I might even say yes. <laughs> if everything was black and white, it's like, and I'm then in... I enter in color with a ring... You know, oh, you're not on. my type, but this is impressive. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta lock that down. Yeah. So you saw it. Did you like it? I think so. Okay. I think so. But I just never thought of it again. I guess it seemed like it was it had like an element of prestige to it, mm-hmm. but I didn't remember any of the specifics. Yeah, it certainly won some awards and was nominated for a lot of awards. Yeah. So, yeah, it did have that prestige. I remember liking it, but thinking, like... The Truman Show, you know, I'd watched it around the same right. time as The Truman Show, and that seemed like it was kind of a better take on anti-TV stuff. For sure. And there's definitely a lot of TV-related films that came out sort of around this same time. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, The Cable Guy. Yeah, for sure. Stay Tuned. Oh, man, yeah. Like HBO. TV. <laughs> oh, God, TV, The Poor Man's cool Truman Show. World. <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit? Like, they all sort of have that going into the fictional world element. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this tried to do it in, like, a very visual way, mm-hmm. which I think was appreciated by the critics. A lot of critics like this a lot. Yeah. Roger Ebert, I'm going to talk about him. He gave it four out of four. This was, like, one of his favorite movies of the year. Wow. Which, I don't know. We defer on, to Roger. <laughs> Come on. So... I, I liked it. I know that it was kind of big around the adults that I knew at the time. A lot of adults talked about it. Right. It like, oh, this is really forward thinking. This is talking about stuff and like teachers that I knew were like, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in my class because it's a it's a strong message about youth and and reading books, not being in black and white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a real epidemic. A lot of kids think it's cool to be in black and white, but. It's the, not. Those newspaper people are just coming <laughs> in. Yeah, so I I liked it, but like you, I thought it was kind of unmemorable. And what made you suggest it for this week? Because we could have picked any movie from Hollywood history. Yeah, I, I think I thought it was kind of, it was a little bit of a big movie at the time, mm-hmm. in 1998, because it was like the year before the mo- like the year of movies, of like all the big, great movies. Right. You know. Do you think that maybe this was eclipsed by the class of 99? <laughs> maybe. I think it might have done a good job of like burying itself a little bit. Uh-huh. And I can't wait to talk about like the themes of this movie in the back half of this podcast. Okay. But, uh... A little lofty for us, but okay. <laughs> themes. Yeah. It was black and white, and then they went to color. It's crazy. <laughs> That's all the themes that we could talk about. But yeah, I, I liked it. But I didn't. I didn't love it. But I, I kind of wanted to watch it to see if it, you know, if it held up like our premise of the podcast. But also see, like, it was one of those those kind of movies. Like, what's that? Uh, oh, fuck. I'm fucking it up. 
the name of the movie. Rocco's uh, Modern Life. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But there, it's it, it kind of feels like one of those like not entirely '90s movies. Like it right. wouldn't be made now, and it was almost like it could have been made for TV. Like it didn't have like the quality okay. of a of a film. Anyway, oh, so I, I kind of wanted to watch it to see if oh those you know impressions held were true. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into let's tell the people about Pleasantville. Let's take them on a tour of Pleasantville. <laughs> okay. Well, it starts with television. A little cathode ray tube, some bright pictures, stars, weather reports. <laughs> Great. It's a movie about TV and a show called Pleasantville. Yeah, which is like Leave it to Beaver, really. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a it's a very sort of optimistic and wholesome family television show filmed in black and white. I mean, not even filmed probably, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's an old-timey wholesome throwback show. And one of our protagonists Toby Maguire. Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man. <laughs> when he's, he's not shooting webs and slinging through the city <laughs> or helping the cider house rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or feeding biscuits to the sea. I uh, I don't know. He is obsessed with this show, Pleasantville. He knows everything about a stupid show. Yeah, that's right. Even later at school, him and his friends are quizzing each other mm-hmm. about the Pleasantville trivia. Like, these kids should start a podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to make fun of these kids for being nerdy, and then I realized, like, they're me. <laughs> yeah, God this one cuts it. a little bit close. <laughs> yeah. Like, the whole nostalgia yeah. thing and the finding comfort in those things that we loved in the past and those old values. Mm-hmm. I mean, we at least probe the old values and hopefully discredit some of those. But yeah. well, I think I, you know, I was talking to someone about the podcast, and they were like, "You guys kind of grown like you used to be like all about the past and loving the movies of your youth, and now you kind of look at them, and you're like, oh, okay, like yeah. we've grown up a little bit." For sure, I hope that's true. But Toby Maguire, he's unequivocally in love with Pleasantville. He just loves it. He it takes all of his troubles away. Like we see him, he asks out a girl, or he. He imagines asking out a girl, but she's not even anywhere near him. Like, physically, she's 50 feet away. <laughs> Just muttering to himself while staring at the girl. Uh, I don't know. And there's also some help. there's also some divorce drama in the background. His mom is on the phone with his dad saying that he's supposed to have custody this weekend. Yeah, because presumably she's... Brian Cranston. <laughs> she's the mother from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, my God, I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to cook blue meth all weekend. <laughs> you need to see the kids. This is for me. But so he finds comfort in in this show. And he also has a sister. Yes, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. And she is, I think the world is, the movie is trying to tell us that she's a little loose. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'm saying it's a it's a I'm not saying you know that what I'm saying a little a little loose. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to say it in a way that isn't <laughs> terrible. I think you said it in a way that is terrible. Like it's basically like she's a slut. You know what I'm saying? Like we know what you're saying. Yeah, because I'm taking on the perspective of the movie. I don't yes. think she's a slut. No, I think she's a very healthy young person, mm-hmm. but she like talks to this guy Kind of. And she's like trying to go on a date with this guy. She just basically invites him over for some hot making out on the couch with like three words. It's kind of a thing of beauty of like. It's poetry. It's teenage poetry. It's like the Richard Attenborough special on (laughs) human teenagers mating. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she says, okay. And he says, mmm. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. It was kind of like that. It was like cavemen speaking. Anyway, so she, she, you know, but she, the, the message gets across. I don't know why we're supposed to think that she's kind of, you know, as as the movie says, a little loose. When Tobey Maguire is saying the same thing, just not to the girl. Yeah, but he's not successful. He's never going to get laid. He is probably he would be an incel in today's oh god terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, good thing he goes back to the 50s then. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. That's right. Yeah. But so they both 
are arguing over the TV because she's going to watch this MTV concert and make out with this dude, and he wants to watch this Pleasantville marathon, and they're like tugging at the remote control, and it goes flying <laughs> until it smashes on the floor. Oh, my God. And then they can't watch TV. And they have to go to Bed Bath & Beyond and & Beyond and get Adam Sandler's click. Uh, no, they, uh, the, that, that guy shows up, the TV repairman. That's right. They get a visit from a strange creature, Barney Don, Fife. Don Knotts, yeah. And he's like, oh, I can fix that TV for you. <laughs> and they're like, please leave us alone. Stop. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I am the cops. Oh, my God. <laughs> Takes out a gun. It's awful. It turns into a different movie. Yeah. No, he gives the he like kind of quizzes Tobey Maguire. That's right. He's like, how smart are you? <laughs> yeah. And Tobey Maguire knows all the answers to all the trivia questions. Don Knotts even like kind of quizzes him unfairly. He like says stuff, and he's like, "That's not true." You know, he tries to get him. Yeah, he tries to trip way. him up. He's yeah. being tricky. That's you know exactly. I, that's I don't think that's quite right. No, it's immoral. Pleasantville. Gosh, I love that show. Watched it for years. That's not the reason. I've got a date at 6.30. Hey, who did Muffin take to the masquerade ball when her date came down with the measles? Her father. That's right. And how'd she dress him? As Prince Charming. Nice. Remember the one where Bud lost his cousin when he was supposed to be watching him? Yeah. What department store did they go to? McIntyre's. McGinty's. No, McIntyre's. Remember? For the very best in men's attire, head right down to McIntyre's. But uh, Tobey Maguire has a sword to cut the Gordian knots. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what he does. And in reward for cutting the Gordian knot <laughs> of Don Knotts' trivia. Just doubling down on my joke that didn't work. How dare you? Don Knotts gives them... A new remote. But not just any remote. A special remote. It kind of looks like a homemade guitar pedal or something (laughs) like that. It's, like, big and clunky, and it has, like, this red, like, tube-like. Yeah, it's, like, bent aluminum. It's all... It looks like like a kid made it, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so they, you know, use the remote, and they get sucked into the TV, into this, like, Pleasantville marathon. Yeah. Which is weird, because presumably, like, there's a Pleasantville marathon on like, all night, and so they're going through the episodes, right? Right. Because he's like, oh, this is the episode where that happens, and so he's, like, living through the episodes. But I just thought about this, like, when the episodes end the next morning, they're all going to die? Is that, like, the clock they're racing against? Wait, what? <laughs> what? Because they're living through this, like, overnight thing in Pleasantville. They're living through all the episodes. When the episodes end, does Pleasantville, the world, end? Oh, my God. I never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, that's a horrific Twilight Zone sort of thought that I wish that this movie investigated. <laughs> but I wish everyone in this movie died, yeah. I think they just get put on next weekend for reruns. I mean, you live mm. on in the reruns. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I see. But so both Jennifer and David, Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon, they get sucked into Pleasantville. And they are, in fact, the characters from Pleasantville. Mm. Toby is the beeve. Right. And... She's whoever the other one was. It's nice that they didn't call her the beef. That's good. (laughs) At least the 50s weren't that sexist, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, like, the fun part about the 50s was that, like, they didn't know when things would be unintentionally funny. Like, the beef is still sort of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, the cleavers, that sounds horrific. Yeah, like a like Like serial murder murder family. Beaver cleaver? That guy's a maniac. (laughs) I never, how stupid am I that I never got his name was Beaver Cleaver. That's a horrible name. That's Julia Gulia. Yeah. The, the wedding singer. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but so Pleasantville is everything that TV would imagine. Like, this is the old style of, like, characters who are married don't sleep in the same bed. They sleep in separate beds with one foot on the ground. Like One foot on the ground? Yeah, like the Dick Van Dyke show. Like, because they didn't want to insinuate that married couples had sexual intercourse they would the name dick was in the title <laughs> come on <laughs> they knew they knew uh, yeah anyway yeah but so 
their very presence there starts to like shake things up. Yeah. Like, for example, David knows what episode they're on. And what's supposed to happen in that episode is that Reese Witherspoon is supposed to be asked out by this guy, Skip, Mm -hmm. played by Paul Walker. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he is supposed to give her his pin. Very romantic 50s thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, that ain't Jennifer's style because, as I said, this movie insinuates. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Let's just say that she teaches Pleasantville a few things. Okay, let's not say that. It's a very Pleasantville to be in. Uh, Yeah, she puts the pleasant in. Okay, I'm sorry. No. She gives Skip a sex education lesson. Yeah. One that's better than Ontario's in 2019. Yeah, probably. They uh, go to Lover's Lane. This is the place where all the couples go and hold hands. Yeah. And that's not like, that's not a a code word for anything. They just actually hold hands. Yeah, it's very innocent. Is that how people have sex in Pleasantville? They just hold hands? Well, later we find out that they don't have sex in Pleasantville because Reese Witherspoon, after everybody watches her having sex in the car, and then... Jesus Christ, everyone watches? Well, it's a convertible. (laughs) They're all there holding hands. This is a real scene in the movie. They're all there holding hands. (laughs) Meanwhile, Reese Witherspoon is going to town on Paul Walker, who doesn't really understand what sex is, so... (laughs) I mean, there are all sorts of thorny consent issues, but oh, God. all the other people are watching. And How are they? They didn't look like they were like gathered, gather around, children, but and they could, watch the sex. They could hear the sounds. They could see it in the rearview mirror. They could probably see it when Reese Witherspoon got on top, and you know, <laughs> Jesus. Some yeah, of this I'm imagining. Stop making the motions. Stop doing it. No one can see that but me, and it's horrifying. But later we find out that, to my point, she has to tell her mom what sex – her TV mom yeah. doesn't know what sex is. Right. And so she tells her. Well, she she doesn't even know what masturbation is. Well. And that's a whole new school that she, that she teaches. Well, let's cut to a clip of that. Why? <laughs> we try to make it the sexy edition of rewatchability. Not the masturbation, the part where she's telling about the masturbation. Are you okay? Uh, yes. It's uh, just that your father would never do anything like that. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, Mom, there are other ways to enjoy yourself without death. Just splashing around noises. And Joan Allen just... <laughs> yeah, but she rubs one out really hard. <laughs> rubs one out so hard that a flame, a tree, she causes the burning bush. <laughs> oh, God. What is she, like, have flint and steel down there? Like, how did she... She started a fire outside her own house. Yeah. And no one knows what fire is because the firemen just rescue cats from trees. Yeah, that's right. It's mm-hmm. it's so idyllic, this town. They have no danger or pain. There's, like, a great scene where Reese Witherspoon is trying to write a Kleenex on fire. Yeah. But, and she can't even smoke. No. So that's, that's horrible. And, yeah. So maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but then Tobey Maguire becomes kind of like this, you know, this guy that kind of knows everything. He's the older brother around town. Yeah. You go to, like, ask about sex from. Yeah, that's right. He explains sex to everybody. Yeah, and that's the worst sex ed teacher I could ever think of. Tobey Maguire? Uh, okay, so you, I don't know why he's Adam Sandler now. Okay, but you take the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't about. know what's more horrific. <laughs> but, yeah, he's not the someone that I'd want to learn sex from. I just remember from his time in the Pussy Posse, he did not have the... The Pussy most... Posse? Yeah, we've talked about this a million times. Back in the 90s, there was a Hollywood cabal of 
handsome young actors who referred to themselves as the Pussy Posse. Handsome young actors. And Toby! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It was Leonardo DiCaprio slumming it with Toby and Stan from Mad Men. Okay. Okay. Oh, and speaking of Mad Men, Danny from Mad Men is in this. Mm. By the jukebox. They call him Jukebox Boy. But yeah, he was part of the Pussy Posse. And, uh... Jesus. it uh, It was a time... Yeah. In Hollywood, that was the 90s. Oh, a more innocent time back in the 90s when everything was in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Now we idolize those times. (laughs) No, we don't. No, we take them to task. If anything, like, we do not idolize the past anymore. Well, I think, yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about in this movie because this is about... This is about breaking free of idolizing the past. This is about saying, like, the past was really fucking complicated at times, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that simple. And, like, it might be more complicated now, but eh, maybe it's better now for everyone yeah. instead of just you. But some people don't think it's better. No. No. The people who run the town, the mayor, Big Bob, the guys who hang out at the barbershop, the yeah. old-timers, mm-hmm. they are not appreciating all this color which is added to... <laughs> The town. It's so problematic. This movie is so problematic yes. from the get-go. Because they're talking about, yeah, there's like, oh, the color, the people that are in color. like they're And not... then they start to put up signs in the hardware store. Yeah. And what do those signs say, Blaine? No colored people. It's It's not great. It's, uh... It's trying to, it's trying to do something. Yep. And I think we can all appreciate what it's trying to do. Yeah. I don't, sorry, I don't know. Is it trying to do something? I don't remember whether there was an era in reality where people put signs that said, no colored people outside hardware stores. I'm trying to think of when that era was. <laughs> when that era ended. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Looking at you, Southern United States. Anyway, I, I think that the, the problem and one of the things that this great writer – named Courtney Enlow, says that this movie kind of is about racism. It is talking about people, like, blooming into color and that, like, the black and white people are afraid of them, and that's fine to use that as kind of a a metaphor for talking about race. Uh, But the the hard problem is, is that there is no person of color in this entire movie. What? (laughs) No, 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 I saw lots of colored people. (laughs) That's how they pitched this movie. Someone went into somewhere and someone went, fucking A, yes. Yes, call white people colored people. (laughs) Then they'll understand racism. (laughs) God damn. It turns out that black people are just like us. They just like art and sex. Yeah, and they have no place in this movie. And now I understand. (laughs) How bad God. it was. God damn. Yeah. That was like a hard yeah. thing to get past. And I know. I, I kept on looking for like a do. black person at all in this movie. Anyone of color. And it was just like, no, nah, that's like a white person. They're like, you're colored. I was like, that's not great. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about it later. But the gist of it is that the town elders aren't so happy. So they decide to make a bunch of rules that people are going to have to follow. Oh, and we haven't talked about the whole Jeff Daniels thing. Yeah. Where Jeff Daniels, he plays the malt shop guy, and mm-hmm. Toby Maguire brings a book of art from the library and shows him all the paintings yeah. at once. Shows him all the the woman, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. First, The first couple he... he turns to are pretty erotic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like full on, we're into penises and breasts, which yeah, is cool. That's exactly. what art's about. Yeah, and then Jeff Daniels like, I'm feeling things I haven't before. <laughs> Toby Maguire's like, let me leave. Yeah. Let me get out of here. Because Jeff Daniels immediately gets into nudes. <laughs> when Joan Allen drops by, he's like, you know, let's just, uh, let me paint you like your French women. Yeah. Yeah, he goes full DiCaprio on it. Full pussy posse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why? Oh, And this is also, I think, what, what if they didn't have the scene between Reese Witherspoon and Joan Allen, where Reese Witherspoon, where we talked about, we, we've, we've mm-hmm. heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she flicks the bean into Technicolor. <laughs> 
so much friction she causes a fire. Uh, yeah, if we didn't have that scene, then I think this movie would be a lot more sexist than it is at times. Cause there's oh, a, yeah. There's a lot of men being like, but you can be like, you, I'm going to teach you how to find your womanhood. Like, I'm going to teach you that it's okay to be yourself. It's true. It does acknowledge female desire and doesn't make any judgment about it, yeah. which is neat. But at the same time, like, one of the problems is that Reese Witherspoon, I mean, everybody else is having sex and turning color, Mm -hmm. but she's had lots of sex, and she's still black and white. So she's really bummed out about that till she starts reading a book, (laughs) starts reading D.H. Lawrence, you know, flicks her bean a little bit, and then she puts on glasses. Everyone's flicking their bean, why? And she turns color. Yeah. Yeah, I think she just had like monochromism for like a lo- monochromism. Is that what it's called? I don't know. For a long while, and then, she, and then she put on glasses, and she was like, "Oh, I just need glasses." No, it's not a real thing. I just made it up. Yeah, I'm sure it's a real thing. But she says, "I tried being a slut. Now I'm going to be a real person." Yeah, I feel as though she wasn't a slut. I don't know. I mean, I feel as if she wasn't a slut, but it's weird that this movie makes us choose that binary. Like, (laughs) maybe she could go to university and learn things and also have a healthy sex life. (laughs) Right? Crazy idea. God. I mean, she could have, like, a really healthy sex life and just, like, have rich parents and get into university. Like, that would be pretty good, too. That would help, too. Yeah, Felicity Huffman swoops in. Amazon sponsorship. (laughs) She could be an influencer. Yeah. There you go. So anyway, characters try to kind of find. We we see their, them change as they become yeah. colored. It's <sighs> not so. It's not just that they're having sex that changes them color. No, it also is like an intense violence. Emotional... Yeah, yeah. So Tobey Maguire punches someone out and he becomes in color. Mm-hmm. That was a weird one. Yeah, I was like maybe the violence that these young men. It's a scene where young men are kind of surrounding his mother and he has to de- defend his mother before yeah. she gets maybe assaulted. Uh, sexually by these young men and he like decks one of them and then he turns color and he's like oh i'm a man now i was like that's a bad lesson that's not the takeaway we want yeah Uh, yeah but then it all sort of comes to a head when the the better the biz the pleasantville business initiative or whatever gets together and they they have they print out these rules yeah and they're sort of arguing it in course court it's very much like footloose the end of footloose <laughs> it is it's so weird though because Tobey Maguire is like uh you know they they put the rules out uh because the the guy painted something in his window mm-hmm. uh Jeff Daniels and so Jeff that Daniels is, painting yeah so Jeff Daniels is like ah oh, what do we do now that we can't paint in in color and Tobey Maguire is like I have an idea and they just paint in color yeah like there's no there's no new idea there it's not Let's like a bigger thing anyway <laughs> yeah. fuck the police and then they go and they have a little tr- trial yeah, that's right. They put them on trial. And that's where Tobey Maguire proves that it's not just like it's not like people are different, like the colors inside of us the whole time. Yep, and this is where the whole analogy to racism falls apart. <laughs> yeah. Because he turns everyone in the courtroom into color. Yeah, that's right. He makes William H. Macy cry because he's like, Hey, aren't you sad that your wife left you? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like, aren't you sad that your wife's in prison? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Huffman. <laughs> and, and then the big Bob, he also gets turned into color because he gets really angry and starts throwing things. Yeah. And so, once again, anger is a, is a key factor to being a, a person in color, yeah. which is not great. There's so much not great. Anyway, but instead of like saying that everyone can live together and that everyone deserves their own culture, it's a movie about let's make everyone the same and then we won't have any racism. That's great. Yeah. That kind of seems what's like the end of this movie is kind of saying. This is like a 14-year-old's version of like a really profound message. It's yeah. like, hey, guys, check out this. Racism's bad. Me and all my white friends, we got together and did a racism play. <laughs> yeah, we that's painted totally like... Johnny in blackface. <laughs> oh, God. 
It's art, though. It's to make a point, guys. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of like a high school kid wrote it because every book in this movie is taught in high schools. Like, oh, yeah. I love so when they paint the mural, and this is after there's been, like, a whole bunch of, like, at first the books don't have any p- words in them. They're just yeah. blank pages. But then they yeah. find Huckleberry Finn, and I guess they use some of the colorful language in that to fill out the text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, then later when they point the mural, there is a really great shot of Catcher on the Rye. Catcher in the Rye, yeah. Yeah, Catcher in the Rye with, like, angel wings <laughs> flying to heaven. Yeah, from the book burning. Oh, <laughs> God. I'm going to influence Mark David Chapman to kill John Lennon. <laughs> yeah. And then dun-na, we're going to... And then we're going to cover that song that he wrote in this movie. Yeah. It's such a weird roundabout. In Pleasantville, John Lennon would still be alive. <laughs> no. That's not the message. Anyway, so Tobey Maguire, at the end of this movie, he says, let's go back, Reese Witherspoon. Meanwhile, Don Knotts, all this time, has been like, you can't stay there. And then uh, he's like, if you don't do what I say, I'm never sending you back. And he threatens all these things and then, like, doesn't say anything in the movie. And he's like, you can have whatever you want. No. They really... Yeah, there's no, like, repercussions for anything Don Knotts says in this movie. They really don't tell us anything about what Don Knotts is doing there at all. Like, I don't understand, like, what's his scheme? Like, (laughs) was he trapped inside Pleasantville for 50 years until he found other souls to occupy those spots? And he got out and he's finally like, finally I can age! I want I want him in front of like Shark Tank. I want to know what his business plan is. (laughs) Like, how are you making money, Don Knotts, just going around... I'm selling my business for $50,000 or 100000 of equity. I don't know what any of that means. No. So Tobey Maguire is like, I got to go back, you know? I got to mm-hmm. go back to real life. And then Reese Witherspoon is like, I can't get into college in real life, which she could after all we've learned. Yeah. And so she stays in Pleasantville to be there Maybe she doesn't have celebrity parents. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, probably, yeah. (laughs) So she's, like, staying in Pleasantville, and she goes to university and has a a good time. Yeah. I mean, I found that interesting that she apparently continues on her life in this fictional realm. Mm -hmm. I'm also wondering, like, what her parents are thinking. They're like, oh, my God, where's my daughter? Well, she's on milk cartons. <laughs> They're like, she just disappeared. Yeah. They're like digitally aging her. <laughs> Jim McGuire finds it a little like ironic that she's in black and white in the milk cartons. He's yeah. like, ah. So, yeah, and then Tom McGuire wipes away his mother's tears in the creepiest way possible. Yeah, that was weird. I don't, before we go to break, just, did you find that weird in this movie, the wiping away the tears? Yes. <laughs> it's just so weird. He, like his his uh, you know TV mom is crying, mm-hmm. and he like looks at her and he, he's like, "You're beautiful," and then he wipes away her tears, and then goes in for the kiss. No, like, but it seems like he would go in for the kiss after that. It just seems very intimate. It was like, a little too bit intimate. too intimate for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but also she's like, his mom's telling him about how she was driving halfway to meet her new boyfriend and then thought, oh, well, he's eight years younger than me. That's fucking weird. And then turned around and is like, what am I doing with my life? Maybe that's a bit too much information for your son. Yeah, who's seemingly, I mean, Tim McGuire looks eight years younger than her, too. So. He's going to go back into Pleasantville with that shit. That's why he had to go into that shit in the first place. You're like, Mom, stop telling me about your dating life. Look, it's cool, man. I want you to get back out there and find love and all of that. But, like, I find a girlfriend to talk about this shit with. <laughs> I'm your son. You're making it weird. He just, like, grabs her hand. He's like, let me tell you how to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be back in, in one minute with uh, some trivia and some behind-the-scenes stuff. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, and welcome to Rewatchability. We're talking about Pleasantville, and we're going to go into some, some trivia. I have some trivia for you, Rob. Some deep trivia. Some deep trivia. You know, there's not, not much... Happened in this movie uh, in behind the There's scenes. There's a lot happening. What are you talking about? I, so I it was I had to dig deep for for these trivia questions. They're still great. They're still the best trivia questions ever. Okay, so the high school location in this movie, okay, has been used in countless films. Actually, I could probably count them. There, there's a list here. Name one of the other films, and I'll give you a follow up clue if you can't. Name one. Oh, a yeah. two-part question. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, but there were two actors in Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this movie. What? Yeah, uh, but that is that is in, untrue. There, one of the movies on this list is another Reese Witherspoon movie. Election. No. Motherfuck. That's such a good guess, though. It's oh, Legally Blonde. They used it as like a Harvard for Legally Blonde. She's like, ah, back in these old halls. <laughs> exactly. Seems like just yesterday. That I was getting paid a lot to be here. So, yeah, that's one of the others. are like Stuart Little, Catch Me If You Can, Pretty in Pink, and every, like every kind okay. of teen okay. movie has been this. One of the trivia questions on IMDb was like, Catch from the Rye and Huck Finn are in this movie because they're the most banned books ever. Whoa. But that's not entirely true. Yeah, they haven't read my erotic novel. <laughs> That's it's just unpublished. It's not banned. <laughs> it's banned. <laughs> I have been censored by every publishing house in Canada. <laughs> um, so my question to you is to name one of the most banned books from two thousand to two thousand nine. To Kill a Mockingbird. It is not on there. Oh, okay. I thought they banned it. So, like, like, top 15, I'll say. Oh, okay. That's that's on there, but, like, lower on the list. Naked Lunch. <laughs> no, that's a pretty good guess, though. They're weird books. I, I wasn't, uh, I, I did not, uh, Harry Potter. Okay. Well, that has witchcraft. It's it's one of the, it's the most banned book series of all time. Well, also, like, all that shit that J.K. Rowling has told us about the sex that Grindelwald had with <laughs> whoever... Yeah, okay. It's getting a little bit out there, like that that yeah. meme that's happening right now. Right. She's like the mom that tells us about her sex life. We're like, no, we don't want to know anything more about the behind-the-scenes sex life of Harry Potter. And the character. She just keeps on adding things that they do and backstory. And yeah. now everybody's sort of taking it to add specific sexual elements. And this is how Harry Potter masturbates. No, stop. <laughs> yeah, the other one, Of Mice and Men. Is on that list. I, oh, so good. I love a bison man. It's so good. Maya Angelou, one of her right. sc- scary stories to tell in the dark, that whole series. His Dark Materials. Like, all these nice, the perks of being a wallflower. Yeah. What? I don't get it. And Captain Underpants is the one that I don't understand on here. Uh, parents were just like, it has underpants on the, t- get it out of here. Well, I sort of understand that. I mean, the what this movie is throwing back to, which still does exist, is a very sort of Christian, very waspy worldview that did, that was the primary worldview in the 50s. It was the mainstream Right. What it doesn't acknowledge is that there was a lot of other stuff happening mm-hmm. in the 50s that were not as pleasant or idyllic. It was really just Leave it to Beaver. That was the only thing. That's why it stood out. That was the culture of the time, is what you're saying. I mean, it reflected the culture at the time, but there was also a lot of stuff that it wasn't reflecting that other things were reflecting. Yeah. Well, and I'm like mainstream culture was like, you know, white family culture at the time and it wasn't taking into account every other culture in the United States that was like uh, you know a place where people went from all over the world yeah we're talking about the beatniks right <laughs> just the beatniks <laughs> that's, the what beatniks, I, that's what the I was hippies. talking about um, so last year the books that were banned mostly were 13 Reasons Why The Kite Runner and To Kill a Mockingbird was yes! on that list. It, it came back. I win trivia. I get to go to Pleasantville. And The Hate You Give was another one. A lot of these movies or a lot of these books are just talking to maybe teens, early 20s people. Like that's the audience about 
other cultures and and how to be a better person uh, i find i don't know that's what i take from these books yeah and it's weird that they're kind of banned because all these books kind of teach you to think for yourself so i guess it's not weird that they're banned because it that's what they want to ban all right so there is a lethal weapon connections movie <laughs> and i'll narrow it down for you it's it's one of the sets of this movie Oh, yeah, isn't, like, Murtaugh's house in it or something? It's across the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. A, a man was... A man there's, was li- there's black people. They're just across the street. <laughs> and a man was I'm literally... I'm old for this shit. ...literally murdered on the front lawn of that house in the end of Lethal Weapon. Not, so. well, that's, that's across the street in Unpleasantville. <laughs> right. Don't cross the street, Toby. Toby. It's Watch the black out. part of town. Oh, no. So... This is a kind of a somber. No, at the end of this movie, it's dedicated to three, to three people, who died in this movie. One was the director's mother. One was a, a cameraman, a camera assistant, and the third one was whom? Ah. Uh, did you watch the end of this movie? You didn't. I didn't. I watched like the end of this movie. Okay. Wasn't there like somebody's relative who died too? Maybe. I can't remember. All right, uh, J.T. Walsh. Oh, yeah, J.T. Walsh's mom died, didn't he? No, uh, J.T. Walsh died. J.T. Walsh died? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. This is this is like what people say sick. about Heath Ledger. It's like, Heath Ledger died? Like, it happened a long while ago. Yeah. You're out of order. Why am I out of order? Because I'm not going to let you turn this courtroom into a circus. Well, I don't think it's a circus, and I don't think they do either. This behavior must stop at once. But see, that's just the point. It can't stop at once because it's in you, and you can't stop something that's inside you. It is not inside me. Oh, sure it is. No, it is not. Anyway, he died. This movie was in memoriam for him. And uh, the the crazy kind of, this will take us into the behind-the-scenes portion of this podcast, is that the camera assistant who died fell asleep in his car on the way home yeah. from shooting Pleasantville. And so there was a, a, a suit against... He'd been working like 19-hour days, right? Yeah, 18, 19-hour days. You can't sleep on that. No. So there was a suit brought... Ag- yeah, and you definitely can't drive on it. So uh, there was a suit brought against the, uh, the the production company for it. But it just seems so crazy that this... That's not very pleasant. No, it isn't. And it's... Pleasantville has blood on its hands. <laughs> yes. It I mean, I'm, a I'm lot joking, more than but that. it's, like, serious, too. Like, yeah, it is. It's pretty fucked. And it's, it's weird that, like, this movie that... You always assume these these movies with artistic vision and, like, you know, the Kubrick movies are going to be the ones where people are working, like, 36-hour days. You're like, ah, they go home. But this movie that didn't make the biggest splash, it, it kind of had an artistic vision, but it wasn't carried out really artfully. We're still, like, working people to the bone and really... So, I don't know. It just kind of reminded me of how fucked the movie industry was. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the artistic quality of the picture, you know, positive or negative. It's just that a lot of shoots overwork people because that is the way that they have done it in Hollywood or that is the way that it is least expensive to get movies made Mm -hmm. or whatever. And there are consequences when you do things on the cheap. Like, there's also, there was that woman who died on the set of a movie they were making about Greg Allman of the Allman Brothers. And they were shooting across a train track, and they didn't have any permits. They said that there wasn't supposed to be a train coming, but basically this woman was on the track, like on like a mattress shooting, and she got thrown off the train track and died. And they shut down production. There was a whole bunch of lawsuits. And I think, hopefully, there's been more you know regulations put on the film industry to ensure that they aren't allowed to you know do that shit yeah yeah and it shouldn't be up to the crew or cast to like stop that and be like i don't feel comfortable i mean yeah it's good that they do do that because there's so much competition and stuff yeah exactly you don't want to get so yeah that was that was kind of upsetting to learn about this movie yeah tainted it Roger Ebert loved this movie, and he said this really wonderful thing that uh, I thought I'd repeat. Uh, Pleasantville encourages us to reevaluate the good old days, and 
take a fresh look at the new world. Yes, we have more problems, but also more solutions and opportunities, more freedom. I grew up in Pleasantville, and yes, my house had a picket fence and food was always on the table, but there were things wrong that I didn't know the words for. I thought that was a great way of putting it. Kind of, but I think that he's a little bit wrong. Okay. I think that we know from our perspective that the 50s, that era wasn't ideal, that it might have been okay for privileged people. Yes. But everywhere else, there were people who were suffering and who were having a hard time and who were struggling. Mm -hmm. And it was simply that television didn't depict those people in the same way. I mean, they kind of did. I mean, there was Amos and Andy and stuff like that. But white audiences mostly saw, like, the peachy keen whiteness Mm-hmm. and of television, and that's what they thought their worldview. So there was like a slice of time where well, to think back to the nostalgia it was to be like, oh, yeah, times were better. But that's a conservative viewpoint. Definitely, and I think uh, I think that's kind of what Ebert's saying here, though, is that it did seem peachy and keen and all that stuff, but there were things wrong that he didn't have the words for. There, there were things, there was racism going on, there were things that he wasn't being taught that he... Like, that a human being knows is wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think this movie illuminates any of that stuff. I mean, it tries to. Yeah. It tries to make a really bad racial analogy. But ultimately, like, the only transformation that happens to the people of Pleasantville is that they turn from characters in a 1950s television show to people from the 1950s. Like, yeah. They haven't changed any. They haven't learned anything. They haven't been updated 40 years to what was progress then. Like, it's still an all-white community. If a black family rolled into town and was like, this place sounds nice, Pleasantville, let's stop here. I still think people would freak the fuck out. I think they'd keep on rolling once they saw, like, the no I don't see this in the green book, but it seems nice. Oh, God. Yeah, it it really falls flat on the analogy, and it really falls flat on on trying. Maybe it's kind of the best laid plans thing, but it's kind of... Of mice and men. Of mice and men. Um, Band. We'll live off the fat of the land. (laughs) Just look at the the bunnies. So I think it tries, but like you, I think it falls totally flat. It can't... You can't talk about racism without having any races... In your goddamn movie, but it's also white people. It's also not talking about racism. Like it's looking at the repression of the fifties as like a, a greater sort of general thing. So it's like people who don't appreciate art or beauty mm-hmm. or you know expression or love or sex or, but it doesn't like. People in the 50s had art. People in the 50s had sex. They didn't mm-hmm. talk about them the same way. But it, it doesn't – the analogy doesn't work. There might have been, like, a different way that it was sort of shown. Like, for example, when the movie sort of shifts to the barbershop and the old man is like, oh, here's the patriarchy. Right. Like, that is a very real thing where men exhibited their power towards people, and we see it sort of happen in this movie, but it doesn't happen in, like, a way that illuminates anything or where, like, the people of Pleasantville are like, hey, now let's have a woman mayor. Well, Joan Allen for mayor. (laughs) They do kind of make fun of those guys in this movie. Do you think the movie makes fun of them, or do you think it's it's kind of like... Because it is one of the more serious parts of the movie is these men Mm -hmm. coming back against all the, the push to a new normal, but... Do you think that it's making fun of them, or do you think that it's there's a little bit of, of like, no, these men are out there and it's serious? I think it's mostly making fun of them. Yeah. It's sort of making fun of everybody. I mean, I don't think that the movie acknowledges that the men are the problem. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Because they kind of or turn the, them into— the white men are the problem. <laughs> yeah. Because it can't, because there's nobody else. Yeah, exactly. There is there is kind of like that push to, to make them comic figures, though, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the J.T. Walsh saying, like, oh, thank goodness we're in a we're in a bowling alley. No one can get us here kind of thing. Yeah. And, there's some funny lines. I like yeah. when they're like, we all like you, Bill, and not just because you're good at bowling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some good lines there. But yeah, I think I think there's those problems of when they turn 
in into into full human beings and like into full color, which is what this movie is saying. Like mm-hmm. you kind of become yourself once you've once your arc character arc is completed, once you've grown. And a lot of the growth is violence for Tobey Maguire and like shouting for JT Walsh. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like that's the message that you should send in that the movie is trying to send. Like maybe we should have a little bit of compassion and that should that should show through and make a person into full bloom color and stuff. Yeah, for sure. But uh, anyway, the, there's some alternate casting here. The two other female actresses for the for the part, Reese Witherspoon's part, uh, you would assume, and they're here. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart and Rachel Lee Cook were both up for the ah. role. Uh, I'm so glad Reese got it though. She's so great in this movie. She is so great, and like, yeah, I think she's sort of miles ahead of. Those yes. people. Yes. She, like... She actually circles around everyone in this movie. I mean, I think she's a really great performer, and I think she's a really great everything. Like, mm-hmm. she produces things now. Yeah. Like Wild was good. Yeah, Wild was great. Yeah, she was great in she's great She's doing great stuff. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I just always assume, because you look back at early Tobey Maguire stuff, and it's like, ah, it's not great. You know, it's all right. Oh, Tobey Maguire is not great. <laughs> no. I'm not a Tobey Maguire fan. No. I'm like, like, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon shows what can be done with every word. Tobey Maguire looks like he's going to murder somebody <laughs> all the time. He's just, it just looks like he's like an old man that's traveled back into a boy's body. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like he knows too much and will use it against you. He he's a he's a bad man, Toby yeah, Maguire. He's a bad man. He's a bad man. <laughs> oh God! It's like you're creating a police report right now. <laughs> he's a bad man. No. Love Reese Witherspoon. I think she's really really great in this movie. Uh, Don Knotts couldn't be on set after the first scene that he was in, so they did a bit of of green screen with him. But also, he couldn't do any ADR. Right. So they had to get a guy, presumably one of us. To do the voice of... Oh, the, yeah. oh I'm in Pleasantville. <laughs> I'm trapped in the TV. That's <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld now. I don't know why. Anyway, there was more. But wait, that's so fucked up because I feel like that means because he wasn't there to do ADR, it means we're not actually hearing Don Knotts' voice at all. No. Like, I, I, we think, aren't. I think it's just like an imitation, isn't it? And it sounds yes. like... I'm going to be honest. I read that trivia fact halfway through the movie and then I couldn't stop staring <laughs> because it's not a Don Knotts performance it's a Don Knotts like performance Don Knotts would bring like a little bit more like I don't know I would he would have like the the elderliness to it it would right. bring some the gravitas softness, the softness of the voice we could yeah. have seen like a whole new term but from Don Knotts but this yeah. it's just all it's just all like Parody almost. It's just like a party it'd, it'd trick. It'd be great voice. if he was giving like a really strong performance, like tears rolling down his <laughs> cheeks, and just like, "Well, I'm done, nuts." <laughs> you gotta go back in the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he didn't do his own voice. They used green makeup to do all the gray tones of everyone. Oh, yeah. So they could take away all the saturation from the screen, except for certain things. So everything was green except for the the things that were in color. But I think you mean though, like they were they only did that when they were showing the effect where people were changing. Yes, because I also read that they did all they shot this in color and it was sort of ch- changed in post. Yeah, so like they didn't have to put everybody in gray makeup every morning for hours. <laughs> no. No, they didn't. Just in just in a few scenes. Yeah, like when Joan Allen is crying and, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, she's completely green, which kind of changes that scene for me. <laughs> like, are you ill? What's going on? <laughs> Puking everywhere. That's my natural complexion. <laughs> yeah, this this movie also was the most uh, effects because they scanned the whole movie, uh, the film of the movie, and then they put it into kind of um, digital effects mm-hmm. to take all the color away. So. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really have as many effects shots as Jurassic Park, but it did because right. of all yeah. the color they took away from the things. Yeah. So it was a really effects-intensive movie. And that's kind of all I have in terms of behind the scenes. Pleasant. Yeah, well, but you got it. Uh-huh. That's the joke that we were all waiting for. Wow. Yeah. What about the director? Did you read anything about him? He did big. He wrote big. Well, he co-wrote big with Steven Spielberg's sister. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I think he directed Seabiscuit, too, didn't he? 
Oh, is that why Tobey Maguire was there? Yeah. Uh, okay. He played the horse, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that horse wanted to kill somebody. Yeah, and he has like a ton of projects in development right now, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing like East of Eden. No. Yeah, he's doing like a new East of Eden movie. Because that's not on Criterion already. No. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that. Yeah, he wrote, directed, and produced this. So that was like a triple slashy. And it made me, it made me wonder. Yeah? Because, uh, you know, a lot of times people have like outside criticism or outside voices to help them steer away from, you know, things that might hinder the movie from saying what it's supposed to be saying like right. signs on the window that reference a terrible period of racism in America's history right when the movie does not actually refer to any real racism right yeah uh yeah he kind of might have had the George Lucas syndrome there yeah where no one was telling him no i mean this movie's so disappointing because a lot of the visual stuff is really great and even stirring and you know i think Every cheap wedding photographer has figured this out. When you mix black and white and colored images, it's it's stark and special, and it looks neat. Yeah. And so much of this movie looks so brilliant because, like, that scene where they're where Tobey Maguire and the girl are driving in the car past the cherry blossoms. Oh yeah, and that it's black amazing. and white. The cherry blossoms are just like That's raining pretty, down. It's, it's so beautiful. It's it stirs your soul. <laughs> wow. Okay. But this then, movie had an effect on you. But then the plot is like such a weird mix between stay tuned and some hackneyed racial allegory. Yeah, it really it really does fall flat. And the thing is, is every critic gave this movie such high ratings when it came out because they were like, it's talking about something. But I think that we have a bit a higher bar for movies that talk about That's things right. now. We are better than all the critics out there. <laughs> and we can see the problems inherent in this film. I think it also speaks – like, the fact that we didn't remember this movie speaks volumes to me. Yeah. It it does have such a huge message, and that should have left a lasting impact, but it undercut its message at every turn so that it didn't have that impact. Yeah. And so, I don't know. What what do you think? Is this movie rewatchable? Well, I'm going to say it's mildly rewatchable because I think it's trying to do something that is pretty unique and interesting. I don't think that it – does it i think it fumbles the ball i think it throws it at the basket and somehow misses oh my god really but there's a lot of fun stuff along the way like the movie is funny all that stuff with them trying to interact with the 60s tv life Mm -hmm. is fun but i just think when you think about the movie it's it's doesn't hold up like it's beautifully shot the shots of joan allen like when she's in color she and the too. makeup, yeah. she's great. But I just, I ultimately think it's like a little bit vapid. Yeah, yeah, and I think it could have gone to more extremes to to actually get hit its message. But then on the other hand, I remember in the '90s there was more of a debate about some of these things. Like for example, art. Like, could you have art with like lady bits in it? I'm talking it. about breasts. Okay, good. No, I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about breasts. That's it. Like, do you remember <laughs> when John Ashcroft had Justice the statue covered up because her boobs were hanging out? <laughs> no, I, I mean, don't. yeah, because she was naked as Justice's. Oh, I don't okay. know if Justice is naked. Yeah, no, <laughs> Justice is supposed to be blind, not naked, right? You can be both. Okay. <laughs> People who have vision impairments have to get dressed, too. That's true. That's very true. I'm, I'm going to say it's madly rewatchable. I think there's a, such a much more interesting movie in here somewhere mm-hmm. that just didn't hit the screen. The ending of this movie is the three adult characters, like Joan Allen has left William H. Macy for Jeff Daniels, and then Joan Allen and William H. Macy are on a bench, and Joan Allen's like, what now? And William H. Macy's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know either. And then the camera pans over to Jeff Daniels. He goes, I don't know either. And I was like, Are they these... start a thruple. <laughs> I thought they were going to start a thruple. <laughs> I was like, this is the movie I want to see. Yeah. I want to see Jeff Daniels and William H. Macy. And That's what Jonah the director Allen. was saying. The, the 50s idealism was missing polyamory. 
Because there's one part at the beginning where they're like, non-monogamous couples are more <laughs> higher risk to get AIDS. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that if this movie had kind of stuck to, like, the um, blossoming into full color is, like, coming into your own sexuality, that would have been, like, a much int- more interesting movie. Right. And... Uh, it did that a little bit, but it tried to be too many things. Reese Witherspoon's is a book of filiac. <laughs> she gets off on books. C.H. Lawrence is sexy, man. Bibliophiliac? Yeah, I think that's what you call it. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's mildly rewatchable, but be fair warned. This is not a movie to watch to talk to your classroom about race, which is what my no. English teacher wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> so. White teachers be warned. <laughs> This is not a good racial allegory. Yeah. Show a movie made by black people or people of color if you want to explain racism because they've actually experienced it. Yeah, use like a, a banned book, The Hate You Give. Could, could be a good example yeah. of that. So that is it for rewatchability. Thank you so much for joining us this week and, and coming to Pleasantville mm-hmm. with us and learning that maybe the past isn't always the best. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe it's better now, guys. Stop idealizing old television shows and movies. There's nothing good in them. <laughs> Don't even think about those things anymore, Don't you know? watch them. Look ahead. Look straight ahead. <laughs> straight white ahead. <laughs> no, Rob, that's what I'm trying to... Oh, God. Thank you so much. You can learn more about rewatchability at rewatchability.com. We have all our back catalog there. Yeah. You can uh, go to patreon.com slash rewatchability, and you can uh, get the podcast early and some a little present coming your way. Yeah, sign up before our bonus episodes drop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're so sorry, Patreons. And um, and the uh, last thing, you can buy a T-shirt and on Public, and you can also join us on all the, you know, the apps – with the Twitter and the, the Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the kids call it nowadays, right? I wouldn't know. You'd I'm, have to transport me into one of those. <laughs> I'm stuck back in the 90s, so I, I don't know. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 